Welcome to SlayerFest 98. I am your host, Ryan Houlihan. I'm Ian, creator of Passion of the Nerd. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. And uh, joining us for his first full Angel episode, we have SlayerFest 98 co-host, writer, and journalist. Philip Ellis. Hello. Hi, Philip. Uh, Philip, this is so it's so weird introducing you. I haven't introduced you in like years on the it's podcast. <laughs> literally years and years. I think it was season three of Buffy uh, when I, I first started doing this. So yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> God, you're right. It has been that long. Um, Philip, do you want to, Ian and Ryan have already given us this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into Angel? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, obviously, uh, by the time the the spin off happened, I was a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and so it was just very much. Um, I wasn't sort of sure whether like an angel, you know, a show could survive with just Angel propping it up without kind of the you know the the established ensemble cast and the Sarah Michelle Gellar of it all. But I was yeah kind of quite into David Boreanaz at the time um, because it was you know 1999 and we all were. Um, <laughs> yes, but I remember. I don't know how it was marketed in the states, but over here, it was very much billed as the much darker, much more grown-up um, sort of sequel to Buffy. So it, it aired on a different channel. I think it was on Channel Four, and it was it was it came out at like ten or eleven o'clock at night on a Friday. So it was very much like it would be on after like you know um, a Law and Order or something like that, and it was very much like the big city. It's, dark and it's dangerous and <laughs> oh my god i love that i kind <laughs> yeah. of like i wish that they had done a little bit more of that and a little bit less of like do you like chocolate you're gonna love vanilla <laughs> <laughs> ryan that really is how it was <laughs> but so we are here to talk uh episode three of angel season one in the dark which is a crossover episode of sorts um you don't need it for the buffy episode but you do like kind of need to know the Buffy episode. Ian, do you want to give us a quick rundown of the the previously on from Buffy? Spike was back in Sunnydale looking for a ring that makes vampires safe and immortal from death. Buffy took it from him like she takes everything from him <laughs> and gave it to Oz to take to LA and give to Angel. There you go. You're all caught up. Um <laughs> It's funny because, like, watching this, I'm like, God, it's, like, weird that, like, you know, we spent seven seasons talking Buffy, and now I'm back to, like, Buffy season four. And I'm like, Mm. oh, right, my crush on Oz. There it is. (laughs) It's a strange episode um, to kind of revisit after having done so much of the later seasons of Buffy on this podcast to kind of go back to, like, oh, yeah, Spike was a villain in terrible white face makeup. <laughs> and and Oz was there. Like that that literally it, it, it literally feels like I've gone on Facebook and, you know, received a, a message from somebody that I went to school with. <laughs> but it's like someone that you liked, right? <laughs> it's like when you see pictures of old like old pictures of Gwen Stefani and you're like, oh yeah, that's who you were. <laughs> <laughs> it really is I think, that. <laughs> I think he even looks a little more paled up for this episode than he was looking in Buffy season four. The uh, uh, the the new vamp face look from the first one hasn't if from the pilot angel episode hasn't quite gone away, but it definitely seems to me that there are different makeup artists uh, between the two shows and you're getting a s- slightly even more pale uh, spike in this episode than was normal, though already normal for Buffy. He does look more like Spike season two. Okay, so since we're talking about this, I gotta say, I, 
the joke of like Oz at the end, who looks so like nearly see-through. He is so pale, <laughs> saying, Wow, Angel's like really pale. And they're standing next to each other and they did not pale up Angel at all. <laughs> <laughs> like he has like a very nice LA tan. <laughs> I choose to believe that Angel stirs a little beta carotene into the blood. <laughs> <laughs> She's got her makeup routine. It's fair, you know what? Like <laughs> the Ariana Grande. <laughs> <laughs> but like, right? It's like even because you, you guys are right. Even Spike looks more pale, and it's yeah. like we're, we're gonna land that joke. Maybe I should have said it to Spike or. But whatever, I'm curious, uh, how did you boys feel, like, watching this? Like, what you remembered? There was definitely some stuff I didn't remember as well. I mean, Angel, I'm not, my memory isn't as good as it is for Buffy, for Angel. But, um, like, Ian, what'd you feel about this episode, revisiting it now versus, you know, how you felt about it before? The It depends on the period in which I was watching Angel at the time. So um, I think that the experience of watching, I mentioned the last time I was on, I I, mean, I think the experience of watching Angel episodes back to back and not interspersing bus, Buffy episodes is a vastly different experience than yeah. w- hot swapping back and forth. And <laughs> I think that Angel suffers in the hot swap, but does a pretty good job of maintaining its tone and its dire flavor and sort of keeping you in the flow of the the heavier drama mm-hmm. uh, when you just watch them consecutively. But every episode, in during the hot swap, every episode that there were guest stars from Buffy, I felt a little bit of the inherited glow yeah. from Buffy on Angel. So I loved it. Of course I loved it. Uh, having <laughs> Seth Green on the show and, and later Willow's appearance and... I mean, I don't love Buffy and Sanctuary, but in in the dark, of course, or not in the dark. Um, I will remember you. I will remember you. Thank you. Um, it's just always you have three and a half years of accumulated love and affection for those characters, and Angel is such a dark, heavy show that getting those quippy, joyful, saturated characters into this universe is always a ton of fun. Yeah, I you know I was saying that like. A lot of us, and I know that I have said this too, that Angel definitely does better once it like, like starting in season two and once it like gets its ensemble cast. But like when we're in this season one where the show's like still finding its footing, it's at its best when it does have the lighthearted Buffy stuff, I think. Um, And we get to like, kind of like these beloved Buffy characters that like, you know, even like Oz, he gets, he's not fully in this episode for that much. He's just in the beginning and the end. But even that feels like lighter and like, like you said, it's like your Facebook friend, the friend you see on Facebook, but it's like a friend that you still like. Um, and it's like a nice breath of fresh air seeing these characters. Ryan, how did you feel? I mean, I feel like, don't you think they tried to be like, we're going to make a darker, more serious, mature show. So they baked all that stuff into like all the stuff of the week. Like their central perk is a dark wooden office. <laughs> like, you know, like they, they baked it all in and then they didn't realize that like to have a dynamic show, they were going to need some of those lighter elements. And it's why those el- episodes with Buffy stuff or like wackier premises work because they bring a little bit of like, um, levity to the situation or the mm. ones that focus on Cordelia bring some like di- uh, like a dynamic quality to what's going on whereas the episodes that with like drearier plots or really serious plots about like homelessness or something yeah. are so heavy and they're in such a dark mature baked setting that you're just like 
kind of trudging through. And then later on, I think that they they start to trust themselves a little bit more with like letting some of the elements that are the baked in elements change and be a little bit more dynamic. But yeah, it's it, it's a weird episode too because they have Spike, right? And they have this ring conceit, which should have some fun things like, oh, we're going to get to see the sunrise and stuff like that. Like, you're like, okay, that's cool. That's going to make for a fun episode. But they also put like a vampire pedophile. <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're like, guys, it didn't, like, we already have murderers. We're already like pretty aware of Spike, what Spike's capable of. We didn't need this vampire pedophile. And like, it's not giving the law and order dun dun you think yes. it's yes. <laughs> you know that's what it is that's what they thought they were doing and yeah we like we really yeah. didn't need that <laughs> no this is a story about these characters fighting over their different like goals or like ways of viewing yeah. the world like it's not a, it's not a story of like uh like oh we're gonna get to see this horrific monster and then i guess <laughs> we'll come up with things for them to do around him <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that whole element of it is misguided to me but i also this whole episode i have to say before we really get into it is um it's crazy that oz was such a major character on Buffy and then a crossover character into the Angel universe. And then we just never hear from him again. We don't get a phone call when Tara is shot. He just never shows up again. The apocalypse comes and Oz like has nothing to contribute. He's off like in a band. And I think that's great. I think that I never realized that at all in my initial rewatches of the show, even the first few rewatches. But now as an adult, I'm like, it's true. There are people in your life who will just vanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Philip, what do you think? Uh, yeah, there, I mean, Ryan really hit it on the head. There is this tension in this episode between the show that they're trying to build with Angel, where you can have uh, a creepy, torture-obsessed vampire pedophile, uh, where it's just like a hat on a hat. That's how dark it is. Um and then it's like, oh, but also do you remember like that you actually love Buffy? We're just going to bring back all these like Buffy characters and remind you how much fun that show is. Um, <laughs> and it just, none of this worked for me at all. I remember, I remember <laughs> this episode being a really good one and I was excited to, to rewatch it. And I was watching it. I was like, oh, this was not good. I was just 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, it ends up, ends up the spike is just good. <laughs> <laughs> but even, even so, like, I don't even think spike is particularly good in this. I think oh, it's no. just like it's secondhand affection for like a lot of the other stuff that character does on the other show. <laughs> It reads like fan fiction that's trying to be as closely accurate to the characters as possible. So it's like, hey, blondie boy, you're a big poof. Oh my <laughs> god, yeah. It's here like, is like only talks in homophobia and like <laughs> sexual tension with the Here is some casual homophobia. And it also it's very much like um, the spin-off episode of The Simpsons where it's like, oh, maybe The Simpsons will show up in New Orleans to help Chief Wiggum. And it's just like, oh, remember Oz? And Cordelia's like, oh, god it's Oz it's good old Oz hey audience remember Oz and it's just like Cordelia like you you don't you never cared for Oz don't pretend that you like Oz (laughs) yeah and it's uncanny valley Oz it's Oz in the video game you know what I mean it's Oz voiced by like Dan Castellaneta it's like (laughs) not right Oz (laughs) it's Oz the deep fake yeah I I will say um I guess it's just because I've been going through all these episodes I still enjoy this episode only. I mean, I can get your critiques and I kind of agree with them, but like, I am like, oh, it is Oz. Oh, it is Spike. Oh, I get to see Cordelia with these characters. Like Cordelia and Spike's interactions are like very fun for me. I love that 
you know, Spike, I, the joke, I feel like a lot of like people on Buffy Twitter are always joking that Spike is like queer. And there's definitely an argument to be made for that because he feels very queer. So it makes sense that he'd be like, Cordelia, I love your hair. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because like, same, I would be, I'd be like, oh my God, you look great. But yes, let's get into the episode we get. We have the like B plot, which is actually more of like a D plot of like Angel saving this woman named <laughs> Rachel. So we open on the final <laughs> act of a Lifetime movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, at first I was like, oh, is that Anne? But no, it's some, it's some girl that we don't care about and don't need to I was about. going to, to say Rachel looked to me like Anne and Buffy had a baby. Yes. <laughs> she looks like a hybrid cross of the two of them. And obviously, thematically, that's what they're shooting for. But it was a little on the nose. You know, I mean, I thought, too, like, like at some point, the casting director is going to be like, listen, we are in Southern California, but I am going to run out of these women. <laughs> I just think it's really interesting that we are three episodes in. And in every single episode so far, there has been a fragile blonde that Angel yeah. needs to rescue. Yes. Uh, so, so Summer Bishop said this in the first episode, and I've been thinking about this a lot. She was like, are they casting all these blonde women to show that, like, look, he has a type? Or are they casting all these blonde women because, like, there was no diversity? And, like, <laughs> they're just like, every character's got to be blonde and white. Cordelia's our diversity. <laughs> I think that they knew there was a hole in their show in the orbit around angels shaped like a blonde woman named Buffy. <laughs> and they were like, well, we can't do that. And their imaginations, I guess, at the time extended to, like, well, I guess we'll just throw women on screen with him. And if chemistry hits, great. And yeah. I think, you know, Kate won that lottery <laughs> in the <laughs> early season. <laughs> they were like, which one? Okay, her. And that one. Eventually they were like, we must have picked wrong. Hey, you know what? Let's just bring Darla back. <laughs> and that was great. And it worked. I'm just, it's funny. And, and the show has such a fascination with blonde women that's like, I don't know. You could write an academic textbook on it, but <laughs> I do think that that casting director is exhausted. Only, Angel only falls in love with Cordelia once she goes blonde. <laughs> God. Oh, the frosted. Yeah. Uh, well, well, at least Angel what? is a racist confirmed. <laughs> the, uh, a lot of the stuff that I've read behind the scenes, I mean, uh, Whedon said that he didn't know how to write Angel. And so oh. my feeling with these uh early episodes and i mean the show is so experimental compared to buffy yeah where buffy had rigid structure and angel changes the whole series gets a face over at least three times over the course of its run mm. and these early episodes just feel to me like the writers trying to figure out who angel is and at the moment who he is is buffy's boyfriend and yeah. so you get the repetition yeah. of that beat over and over again. And in this episode, Rachel is the blonde being abused by the repeating um, crack addicted boy, L.A. boyfriend yeah. who tries to kill her in a murder suicide. And then that's, you know, Angel. Uh, I get that. That's Angel supposed to be working out his guilt and shame over what he did to Buffy. But it does start to feel very repetitious. Um yeah. But I mean, in all of these early episodes, the cast is just too small. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and that's a big problem for not repeating yourself. Yes, yes, I, I do think you know it's wild that these credits have three people in them, um, and like, yes, it just the show because the show also doesn't know what to do with Doyle and Cordelia so often. Um, 
like and you eventually know, Wes and Cordelia. Yes. I mean, in um, uh, Are You Now or Have You Ever, Tim Minear says in the commentary track, he the hardest scenes for him to write in ostensibly one of the greatest episodes in the, the series were the Cordelia and Wesley scenes where they sit around and do research. They have the Giles role in that scene. Mm. Um, and, and I think that the, again, you, the, that's the show seeking its identity over and over and over again. But um, the consequences of it is, you know, these early episodes are either dry or feel like uh, overly nostalgic for the sister show. Yeah. Yeah. That's really astute. I feel like this does. Yeah. I think that's the thing that works for me, but it is like leaning on that where this could be like a more boring episode of Buffy. Right. Um, Early on, you also have the thing of like, you don't, you don't, you want the audience to love your characters unconditionally. So you don't want to give them flaws that are beyond the shallow. Like you don't want to give flaws people flaws that are unforgivable or that might be polarizing so early on. So the characters conflicts have to be really like, I mean, especially early on, but like, especially on a show like this, it needs to be so of the week and it makes it hard to start carving out who these people are. And I think Doyle suffers from that for the entire run of the character. And like, that's what makes it end up being like a really good nostalgia character. Like in season five, when Angel's still yeah. kind of brooding over Doyle's death, um, is that he's like so pure. We're not like, like his most annoying habits are that he like, he's too persistent in his liking of Cordelia. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He, and, and, and I think that, that it's tough early on because later we have more like, like there can be more pathos or people can be keeping secrets. Like, I mean, even people like Lorne that are like rays of sunshine. The show, <laughs> compensates for that by putting in a <laughs> vampire pederast. So. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop coming back to it. Anyway. The more you the, 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 the more you say it, Ryan, the more stupid it does feel. <laughs> <laughs> they don't yeah. even really tackle the issue of like of like they don't even tackle the issue head on. They just use it for shock value. It's wild. Right, because they just say it, and then they, like, show that he's, like, near And some then he goes scouts. down to, like, the pier, and he's like, I'm going to gobble up them kids. <laughs> <laughs> gobble up them kids. It's, oh, Jesus man. Christ. <laughs> so we open on this girl, Rachel. She's another blonde. Um, I know that I'm – so I'm a problem. The Spike stuff is definitely problematic, but I loved I, – I did like Spike, like, making fun of Angel. Oh, yeah, it turned me on. I mean, he could be homophobic <laughs> to me all day. Right. I was like, when he said, when he was like narrating as her and he's like, it's okay. I have a nephew who's gay. I was like, I am such a problem. I laughed at this. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but I just always love the like angel. Like, it's a shame. The, the thing that this episode could have benefited from was like an actual angel and Spike scene. Like, not just like them having a fight, but like them yeah. having their like banter that I do think, I know some folks don't love it, but I love it in season five. And I feel like this could have benefited from a, a like a, a scene like that. I mean, yeah. if we're talking about you know Angel not being over his ex who's a blonde. Enter Spike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it really is all of his exes. I, I went blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. One thing I never, I had not thought about before that I wrote down was uh, James Marsters doing faux accents while doing an accent uh, <laughs> was pretty neat to oh, me. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I hadn't thought about that. It's like 
that's like when Cordelia is like showing how she's acting and it's charisma acting as Cordelia acting. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once you go layers deep like that, I, I, even though it's, it's, he's doing bad on purpose, uh, right. it's still an accent in an accent. And I, I thought that was kind of impressive. I love a hat on a hat. Um, so the other thing, I like that he makes fun of Angel's hair, because also, like, Spike, you are not one to talk, honey. That hair is slicked back with more gel than Angel even has in his spiky hair. Um, <laughs> but I, I like all that shit. We get, the, we get the Gem of Amara plot. That's this plot. So before we, before we jump into the Gem of Amara plot, I just feel like the, the one moment in this episode that spoke to me the most um, was uh, immediately after the credits, um, when Cordelia just says, she has to pay. Ingles. <laughs> Because as somebody who has been a, free, a freelance creative for an entire decade, I was like, yes, Cordelia, you are absolutely right. <laughs> are you kidding? There's there's something I realized I just I, like just recently realized oh, I was never paid for that. I wonder if I can still invoice this many months later, <laughs> like invoice again. Um, so, yeah, I do feel that. And I like the thing I like is that Cordelia is constantly the one that's like. Like I, I imagine like Jenna Maroney and her like business slut shirt, but like she's the like business end of this. Like she's the one that like is like we gotta you know keep up the keep the lights on and like and, like Doyle and Angel constantly talk down to her about it, but it's like I'm sorry, like how Doyle who's keeping you in food and whiskey right. and, and bad leather jackets if not money? Like this is how the world works. Like, weren't you both recently destitute and weren't you both, like, famously destitute for long periods of time? Like, it feels, I don't know. It just feels, yeah, I don't, they seem so, like, bored by the reality of being adults, I guess, is the dynamic we're supposed to take. And Cordelia's supposed to be, like, taking it head on. But I don't know. I wish the show would let her shine a little bit more in that role as time went on. Um, and we do get some of that. Like she's able to make like a functional business even without Angel. But I wish that it just rubbed it in their faces more because later <laughs> on Angel's like, I own this business. <laughs> it's like, I really, Cordelia should be like, I own 51% of this company, you <laughs> stupid bitch. You signed a bunch of paperwork. You know what I mean? Like she should have had one over on him in some capacity. Anya gets a little more of that joy over on Buffy. Ryan, that would have been fucking fantastic if when in season two he fires him, she's like, well, actually, motherfucker, <laughs> you signed this paper, so I'm firing you. Because... <laughs> like, um, and Ian, so you've been going through Angel. That's a kind of a theme that they do eventually relax on, though, right? Is they, It seems like they all are constantly, like, rolling their eyes and underestimating her, but then she ends up being correct, right? Are you like, talking about in terms of running the business? Or just, like, in terms of, like, when her little roles, especially in season one, her little parts are usually her coming in, saying what's going on, being right, and then, like, brushing it off because it's like, oh, it's Cordelia. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what it is, is it's a, uh, on Buffy, there was kind of a, a constant um, dissonance uh, with her character as to whether or not she was the shallow alpha or, you know, I think we meant, talked about it the last time, uh, super intelligent, right, you know, yeah. um, and yeah. in, in one of the, uh, uh, the, the, I think it was, um, it's the, it's one of the testing episodes. Um, her score comes back, and, right, and yeah. Xander says, "I didn't know I was dating a brain." Mm. Um, and she says, "What? I can't have layers." And I think that that the early episodes in this season, they are some of that comes along with it. The big turn, uh, I think, 
when it comes to how everyone relates to her and her character is the uh, finale of this season where the blinders or the filters on the the visions are taken off and even she deprioritizes her acting career because she you know it, it's a huge change for her character and i think that um everyone else's perception comes along with her where at the end of the episode she says to angel something to the effect of there's so much suffering we have to help them we yeah. have to help them all um, and then midway through season two, the visions start taking a chunk out of her, um, uh, and she tells everyone that they're they're getting worse. But that's the job, yeah. You know, yeah. she has the best arc, uh, arguably the best arc, um, one of the best arcs in the Buffy verse. Mm-hmm. It's just so unfortunate that it comes with an asterisk, right. but. Yeah. Um, Early on here, yeah, there's definitely that joke of, oh, the the ditzy Cordelia. Oh, wait, no, she's right about everything. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, she's consistently correct. Um, So we see Oz pulling up in his van post-credits. I really, I'm going to be annoying, but like, God, Oz has never looked hotter. Like, he really did look (laughs) a little different. And I'm not sure if it's because they had a better, like, quality on, like, they had a bigger budget for film on Angel, but like... It looks more like, oh, there's my baby boy. He's so handsome. Yeah, he looks great because Seth Green looks great. These were the days yeah. before his bored ape was stolen. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, seeing Oz in this show does feel awkward. Like, seeing Oz next to Cordelia, Doyle, and Angel, it's like when you see a video of, like, a baby duck that's being adopted by a cat. <laughs> it just doesn't fit. See, I like it. I felt like this episode reminded me of um, the Paley Fest that like most of the cast did um, from Buffy, where Sam Michelle Gellar did say that she felt almost any character on Buffy could have carried its own spinoff. Um, and I was like, you know what? That's kind of true. I feel like I would have watched a show of like Oz having to work at Angel Investigations or like, I don't know. I liked that when he arrives, Cordelia is excited, but there's a lot of like, this is Oz. Well, blah, 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 blah. We have so much to catch up on. How's everyone? Okay. Are we done? Yeah, I guess. Like, that felt real to don't me you when you see, like, like... But don't you feel like Oz was supposed to have come to L.A. and, like, Seth Green was like, I'm not doing that. I have movie options on the table. So they made <laughs> Doyle. Like, he's like a half demon and he's got a, <laughs> you know, he's a straight guy who's kind of got a, uh, an, un- a an unexpected thing for Cordelia, which, like, Oz and Cordelia do have chemistry. And, like... <laughs> You know, he would have been like, I don't know. I just think he would have been a good foil for Angel because he's so zen and he has so Mm. much perspective and wisdom to share. Um, And that's what I think Doyle was kind of made to do. And then it didn't work. And, uh, you know, we got there with Wesley eventually. But, like, (laughs) I just think, I I don't know. And this episode is just kind of uncanny. Like, him and Doyle in scenes together, like, there's not a ton of crossover because, like, I don't know. It, it it just, it feels to me like if it was an Anya and Cordelia episode where we were like, oh, I feel like these characters were created to fill a similar role. And it's funny to have two of them right now, but it, it, there's something about it that doesn't quite fit. Even though I do like Oz, I appreciate him in the episode. I, I like Oz, but I just, I think as I was watching it, it, it just occurred to me, I was like, well, this is a character who really does not have much of a meaningful connection to Cordelia or Angel. He is there for us, the viewer. Yeah. Like he is yeah, there yeah. because the plot demands it, and he is given zero like sense of inter- interiority at all. And, and I, mean, I mean, that's like also an issue with Oz just being like the In most general. chill, yeah, you know, sort of laid back person ever. You, you know, he doesn't, he's not super expressive, but it's just like he's literally there to deliver a ring, say his line, hit his mark, and then go home. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, but I think the way they work around that is the fact that he was already coming to LA for a gig and it's just like, oh yeah, I'm just passing by to drop this off. And like that for me, that's why I don't mind it because I like having characters, you know, um, in season three, we got a few season three and four of Buffy. We got a few, um, Xander and Oz scenes. And I remember being like, oh, I would have liked more of these. Like it's mm-hmm. nice seeing Xander talk to like another straight teenager, but who is not also an asshole. Like it, it was nice seeing them <laughs> interact. Cause Oz is just like, okay. <laughs> toxic yeah. and non-toxic masculinity inside <laughs> you. There are two wolves. <laughs> but, right. Like I, I kind of liked that. Um, and I felt, this is why this works series be only because it's that he's just passing through and he is like even more deadpan than usual in these scenes. But I think it's for me, it works because it's like, yeah, he has nothing to say to these people. He's just like, I'm here to deliver this. All right. Good to see you. Bye. It's like when you like encounter a friend, like a close friend's partner out in the wild and it's like, Oh, good to see you. But you have like really nothing to say. Cause like you've yeah, been out to like, dinner with hi to Nina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that felt real. And I kind of like there, they get a little bit of like Buffy esque lines. Like he's like, you guys are like detectives. And Cordelia is like, no, I'm an actress. And he's like, does Angel have a hat and a gun? And she says, just fangs. And he's like, well, that works. Um, and they go down to see Angel and like, you know, they catch up in two seconds. And Doyle's like, you guys always like this. Like, I, I like that shit. But I don't. I could see You're where it doesn't. You're craving familiarity in the yes. show, which it doesn't like have yet. Yes. Like there's it, the show doesn't have fondness for itself quite yet, which is funny because like there. I mean, I'm going to bring it up in every single episode of this <laughs> podcast. But shows like Charmed just automatically assumed we all loved their house. You know what I mean? Whereas like Angel's like we all hate this office, and I was like, wait, I wasn't set up to hate this office yet. You could have made it feel charming and homey. Um, again, they get there, but th- I think that's what you're latching onto is that Oz just feels comforting in a show that doesn't it's not comforting yet (laughs) I think that's exactly it it feels I can see the lack of faith the show has in itself and so it's lean like this it's it's it's, you're resting on pretty dear it's like the show is resting on Spike (laughs) and 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 Oz in this episode because what is the plot otherwise pedophile (laughs) sunshine (laughs) eternal pedophile sunshine Ian, I need your uh, rebuttal to uh, have my back here. <laughs> uh, well, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with uh, anything uh, you guys have said. The, I think the difference for me is um, I just feel much more forgiving of these early season episodes. I mean, I think about the first season of Buffy, and the first season of Buffy for me is brutal uh compared to i mean it's it's hyper camp versus dry angel is the the first season of uh angel is incredibly dry and i i I get what you're saying especially in comparison to season four of buffy that is um well entrenched and understands itself and its characters and the the chemistry is light years beyond what's here yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And especially given uh, what is to come after this one uh, in some of the other, I fall to pieces and some of the other stuff. I, I This one still stands out to me as a bright spot in the season, even if, that, so, even if as we said, some of that glow is inherited. Yeah, it, it is. I think what it needed, and I don't want to be too down on the episode because there are good stuff here. And it's like, you know, again, an episode of Buffy or Angel is still a lot more fun for me than most other things. But like- yeah if the episode has this ring at the center of it and the idea is like angel could use this ring to do a whole bunch of stuff 
And But it wouldn't be a good idea, right? Because it could be taken from him at any time. Or what if he turns evil? It's just too much power for any vampire to have. That's the moral of like their, what their, I guess, their A plot is. If that's the story you want to tell, and it's not about these characters maybe like, you know, it, it, the focus isn't on them personally. It's more on this idea, this big thing. Then I want to see it in action. Like, let, let's have Angel put the ring on to go out partying with Doyle and Cordelia <laughs> under peer pressure. You know what I mean? And, like, he's got the ring on to, like, go to an amusement park. And he's like, you know what? I see the benefits of this. And then maybe he turns evil because he was too happy. Or maybe he, you know, the, he loses the ring or his finger gets cut off. Like, something. And that in order... For us to learn that it was like a bad choice. Instead, we just spend this whole episode with this centerpiece of a pedophile who's like torturing him. But again, there was no reason that Spike couldn't be torturing him, except the sexual tension would be too high. So they got this <laughs> other guy to do it. <laughs> I mean, if you want to jump to the ring, I think the last 30 to 40 seconds of the episode, there are big problems uh, in, in, in two shows that are intensely theme driven. There are a lot of times where um, something works for the sake of the theme, but doesn't work for the sake of the plot. And yeah. I like the idea of the ring and Angel giving it up because it's not actual redemption. And that is the thing that he needs to seek, to seek forgiveness, to seek redemption. And that gets tortured out of him in the episode, for better or for worse, however well you believe that works. Yeah. The the whole idea of... It, it's the precursor to the Shanshu prophecy, the idea that that um, vampirism is a curse that he has to suffer for what he has done wrong, along with the, the combination of vampirism and his soul. So to have the ring is to cheat the work that he needs to do to actually redeem himself. That is his journey. That's his arc. However... <laughs> To destroy a tool that is so friggin' helpful in your battle against evil is absolutely idiotic. <laughs> the uh, the idea of uh, like thematically great. Okay, this is not actual redemption. This is not you haven't earned your yeah. humanity back yet. You still um, owe a debt. The you have to make amends. That's the 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 angel prequel is uh, yeah literally uh, angel episode zero is uh, amends in Buffy. You you need to do that before you get to you know embrace and and enjoy your humanity again. And yet, <laughs> you know, being able to go to the grocery store or fill the gas tank in the middle of the day would certainly be a helpful thing in the fight against evil. Yeah, why not just go to Willow or anyone and be like, hey, right. why don't we put a spell on this ring so that if I ever shouldn't be having it, you could just like take it from me? You know what I mean? Like some, there's a solution. And because we don't want that solution, because narratively it won't be useful to the plot and like it's not useful to the character development to have the shortcut and you want to make that point, then let's make the point. It just seems like such a big thing and a lot of idea to bring in to just have Angel have the conclusion at the beginning, which is like he sticks it in the tunnels while he like, you know, comes to the conclusion he's already basically coming to by hiding it, which is that nobody should have it and it's too powerful to have in my hands. Okay, fine. If that's, it, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm saying if that's the conclusion that that character is going to come to, like, let's see him come to it. It's kind of boring for me, for him to know from the beginning and then he has it sort of, yeah, yeah, I agree. you know, then we yeah, have this no. emotional journey. And I don't know. It just doesn't feel active and it feels like the show... It wants to just, it, it wants the, I don't know. It doesn't want to baby its audience, but like 
that's what an audience is. That's what an audience I, I, is. You baby them. I, like, you tell them a story. I don't know. I think there's a more practical reason that they needed to do that for the sake of the storytelling. And it has happened in the series several times. And when I say the series, I actually mean Buffy. Um, when Buffy and everyone make, you know, super Buffy, maximum combo breaker Buffy, in order to destroy Adam in, um, I can't remember the, the second. Primeval. Primeval, yes. Yeah, yeah. That needed to be, they needed to remove their ability to do that. Because anytime a big bad came along, all they need to do yeah. is sit in a drum circle and chant, and Buffy <laughs> suddenly has all these superpowers and could take on Snake Mayor single-handedly without the, na- the need for dynamite. And so along comes uh, the first Slayer, and the first Slayer sees them because, you know, Restless is the penalty for doing that so right. that they can't just because that would break the storytelling right. uh, from the, the standpoint of the writers, because it's the Superman problem. You have to take Superman's powers away every single time. And um, the, yeah. the other one of those that comes to mind is um, Willow beaming glory, uh, teleporting glory into space yeah. uh, when glory comes along. If, Willow could do that with just any old big bad anytime they come along, then the stories lose a lot of their tension. And so in the next episode, Willow has um, constant migraines and Tara is saying uh, no more teleportation spells. Because that's what they do at the end of season six, too. And they're like, Anya's like, oh, she's not going to teleport. She'll fly because it's flashier and scares the locals. Yeah, I mean, the I, I think that there are practical reasons to do that. If Angel can go out in the sunshine, then Angel the show is not Angel the show. It's a different yeah. show. You yeah. know, so from a, pra- <laughs> from a practical standpoint, they needed to do that. It's just they didn't really justify it from the standpoint of the plot, the first layer is a much greater penalty than there is no penalty. Uh, Angel's just (laughs) doing it for the ethic or the, the morality of it, which is stupid because (laughs) it's it's not like in Lord of the Rings where the more you wear it, like it corrupts you. Exactly. It's it's literally, he just turns to the camera and says, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, he's like something, could go wrong at some point. That's why we're not going to do this. And it's like, wait, not going to do what? Like, <laughs> solve all your problems? I, honestly, yeah. I think it was more of an aesthetic issue. He's like, this doesn't go with the cladder ring that I've been wearing for Buffy, <laughs> so I, I, can't, I can't. He didn't it, want a reminder that his boyfriend Spike used to own it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, we even get, so we are all over the place, but so we we even get Sorry. Cordelia. I do love that, like, before Cordelia knows about the ring, she's even like, why are you going all Versace about a ring? Um, um, and like earlier, she says, how is Buffy? She's still our brave little slayer. Is she moping around the dark like, and then they kind of look at Angel. And I feel like it's almost like that's the joke here is like Doyle says it at the end, too. And he's like, you're really into this angst, aren't you? And it's like, it feels like that's half the reason Angel's doing it. But I, I you are right, Ian, in that it's like definitely like going for a morality thing in case he turned evil. But I also kept thinking, Ryan, what you said, like, couldn't he have just, like, called up Willow and been like, hey, I'm going to use his ring, but let's have a failsafe on it. So, like, if I do, like, turn evil, it, like, immediately teleports off my hand or, like, something, yeah, something. right? There's got to be a book somewhere. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, well, just, like, put it in your safe just in case. <laughs> yeah, and, like, use it when you need it. <laughs> but, like, give Cordelia the combination so, like, she can get it in case. Also, like, just logically, this plot would not have ended here because if you're like, okay, well, word of the ring is out, 
who's going to buy that you destroyed it? I feel like vampires everywhere would be like, give me the fucking ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it wouldn't stop. So if word isn't out, then why wouldn't you just put in a, I don't know. It just, it creates all these, these what ifs and like, it just, it's a logical problem that the show didn't take the time to take the, like to responsibly weigh. You know what yeah. I mean? If that makes sense yeah. for itself, it should have done it for its own sake. But that's what I think the core of the problems of the episode are. And it, I wish it feels like a missed opportunity in a big sense. So we, so moving along, we get um, yeah. Doyle wants to go out and celebrate. And again, we get Angel being like, I'm good. And it's like, just fucking go out drinking with them. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a line in there. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. And there's oh, no, a line in there. I, I just wanted to highlight. Cause again, I love the Cordy arc, but she says, this is uh she says, um, Buffy didn't even send a note. She just sent Oz. Oh, this is one of the way those times that I should shy, shy away from a topic. Isn't it? <laughs> I was reminded of Cordelia. Have you ever even heard of tact? Tact <laughs> is just not saying true stuff, which is the most Cordy line ever. But the, her sort of recognizing this moment and backing away from saying uh, too many Cordy things to me feels like, you know, her 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 arc in progress, I think it's really kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, Ian, that is my favorite Cordelia line. Like that, like of all time is like one line is her saying tact is just not saying true stuff. I'll pass. Um, yeah, if, if you had to pick a line that encapsulates every individual character that's definitely one of her contenders yeah yeah totally anya's is can i trade the children for more money (laughs) 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 so they go out and i do like i wish we had seen i'm like show me this i want to see them going out i want to see doyle cordelia and oz doing shots together like i want to watch that scene um and i but i do like we get like doyle's very hungover the next day and i like cordelia kind of doing the thing you know, Ryan and I have been out drinking many times, but I, Ryan's never, you're always such a polite next day friend who's not like, well, Ian, these are the things you did that are embarrassing. <laughs> because I do have some of those friends. I'll be like, well, these are all the ways you embarrass yourself while drinking, Ian. Here you go. But I, I like. Just, I find it hilarious that Doyle is hungover having got leathered and quoted Angela's ashes because Irish. <laughs> oh yeah I, I have a note in here that literally says why does this episode hate irish people and listen my name is ryan thomas Houlihan. i get it but like <laughs> it's pretty explicit <laughs> and like that 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 um, aspect of his character never becomes more nuanced <laughs> <laughs> yeah no yeah. neither or with angel honestly anytime we go back to angel's history it's like as like an Irish vampire, it's always like the most stereotypical Irish anti-Irish sentiment I've ever. <laughs> I don't know. I've ever seen get, uh, a, a show get away with. I guess like all the way over on the other side of the world in California, they were just like, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> but it's, it's, like when, it's like when Always Sunny went to Ireland in the most recent season. That's the level oh, yeah. of like. <laughs> If one thing the show is the struggles with, it's it's starting from stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, Doyle definitely only had a run of eight episodes, but I'm reminded of the, uh, I'm going to use a generous term, tropey place that Gunn's character starts from. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't feel that dissimilar uh, to me from this. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very white writer's room working with, Probably the other uh, stories that were popular at the time, mainstream popular stories at the time, and using those as starting places for these characters. You know, I, I'd like to think that Doyle would have developed into something over time, but 
this show definitely struggles with that uh, with other characters, not just him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. So we, we then get Angel. He gets a phone call from, he's doing Tai oh, no, Chi. No, but before he gets the call from Rachel, he is downstairs in his apartment doing Tai Chi like yes. a grandmother in the park. <laughs> oh, but it's kind of hot. Let him have it. <laughs> um, so we, oh, also I need to point out, I do love that Cordelia says that he was quoting Angela's Ashes, but then says it does not start Betty and Barney rubble like you said it does. And that he was calling Oz her little Bam Bam. Which like, oh, okay, yeah. sure. Uh, but so yeah, Angel doing Tai Chi goes out to the car to because he gets a phone call from Rachel. He's gonna go see her to make sure everything's okay. The abusive boyfriend got out of jail on a technicality. Angel's he- car, which looks like a hearse. Good touch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Philip, who does he encounter out by the car? His ex-boyfriend, William the Bloody, <laughs> and they, because, and it's it's very much like Buffy and Faith, it's like, because we can't have them kissing passionately on screen, they just punch each other a lot and shove each other around. <laughs> Even this fight feels weird, right? Because it is just like, they're kind of talking at each other and like, throwing some punches, and then it just kind of ends, right? Pretty much. And then like, yeah, and then, um, and then actually, I feel like Doyle makes a very good point, which I don't think ever comes up again. Um, so Angel says, okay, Spike's out there in the wind. Um, he knows you, Cordelia, so like, you need to go and stay with Doyle. And she says, well, Spike can't come into my house because he can't come in uninvited. And Doyle says, no, but he can burn the place to the ground. And it's like, that is very true. Why has no vampire ever just tried that? <laughs> right, yeah. Like, when he says that, it's like, hmm. That's kind of like when Harmony throws the brick through uh, Buffy's window, right? And it's like, yes. well, they can do that. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> um, but I do love the, like... Spike and Cordelia interactions in this episode, even though they're only like brief interactions. But like, oh, but he's like, oh, Cordelia, did you lose weight? She's like, yeah, there's this great gym yeah. around the corner. Anyway, wait, no, I'm not going to be talking to you. <laughs> so I got to That reminded me of at work once we had this like man call, and like we get it. He was like, and don't put me on hold, and I don't want to talk to any of those mean, skinny, rude gay men that work at your store. And I was like, he called me skinny. <laughs> <laughs> And like, but he like didn't want to talk to gays, but that was what I was taking away. So like, I feel you, Cordelia. Um, <laughs> we move like he just kind of like goes away, right? Like it feels weird that like he just kind of leaves because like everything else in this episode, the writers were like, first draft done, let's go to the pub. Yeah, yeah, and then like Angel's kind of like when he tells him to leave, and it's this is the thing that they do a lot, especially this season, where Angel's like, we got to project Cordelia, so we're gonna sideline her for most of the episode, and like that never works for me. So, like, Doyle's calling his... We get, like, in the middle here, it gets a little muddled, right? Because it's, like, Doyle calling people and, like, Angel's looking for Spike, I guess. This show is a detective show that doesn't really understand, like, what detective work is, I think. (laughs) Yeah, it's also, like, the story doesn't always present a question that detective work will answer the way that Veronica Mars does. Yes. And... It should have maybe leaned on that a little bit more or given Cordelia the ability to defend herself in some capacity so she could have more of an adventure role yeah. and less of a, like, you know, cloistered somewhere role. So right. this comes up in the apps, in the um, next scene, actually. So when Angel goes to Rachel's apartment and she's doing um, what I can only describe as, like, the most school play equivalent of a, a strung-out addict <laughs> performance. Yeah. I didn't want to comment on it because I don't know what else this woman ever got to do in her career, but, like... It's not was, good. It's not it good. She's, like, she's, she's the beaten girlfriend. She's also, like, shaking. Um, 
when he's like, oh, but like he's on meth, but he's my meth. Um, and it's like these gritty, these gritty sort of. I gotta stop freebasing this love. Um, <laughs> I feel like I just I really prefer the later seasons when Angel Investigations just decides to become Ghostbusters instead of a detective agency because yeah. this gritty case of the week stuff just it. I mean, I, I know I'm still making my way through season one, but I've yet to see an episode where any of it lands. <laughs> but you have watched it all before, right? Oh, I have, but it's yeah. just like I, I, I was thirteen, so I didn't. Right. I had no idea whether like this was good storytelling or not because <laughs> my brain was still growing. <laughs> um, I think that the second season, they especially "Are You Now," is sort of the big turning point uh, yeah. episode for the first uh, facelift, <laughs> and uh, I think they realized that I think they wanted to do noir, but they didn't realize you don't have to do detective stories every single time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i was gonna say that the noir episodes work really well this season and there are some detective episodes that work but it's only incidentally it's not built with the intention of being detective first yeah yeah that that seems to be the big point also at this point i think they wanted to go case of the week because they also really wanted to be episodic yeah yeah and i don't know why they want really wanted to be episodic or why why that was uh such a call for the first half of this season but um the the case of the week thing worked for that i'm sure the wb had some fucking parameters they were like (laughs) you know we need these to be arable in any order well yeah so then angel like i i'm not even like i was taking notes and i was like wait what like angel just kind of sees spike right it's like Oh, so he's like shaking down people in a bar, and then the guy's like, "Oh yeah, he's just waiting for you outside." Yeah, like, not a, it's not a trap at all. <laughs> um, and he's like, so Spike's outside. He's drinking this girl's blood. Uh, she gets away, and then he gives chase. And then um, this Marcus guy is here. Uh, like, and it's like we're well, we're halfway through the episode, and we like the villain of the episode finally shows up. What is happening? We've been talking for nearly an hour, and yes. I have no idea where. Like, <laughs> what is happening? So they capture Angel. Uh, he ties him up. They're gonna torture him. Rude that he calls her slutty, the vampire slayer, but he's trying to make Angel jealous. He like mentions Riley. Spike leaves Angel with Marcus. Spike goes to Angel Investigations to look for the ring. He cannot find it, and I actually forgot that the scene of. Cordelia holding the crossbow looking pretty badass is from this episode. So he like opens the door and there's Spike, there's Cordelia and Doyle. This episode was great for providing B-roll for the opening credits and yes. nothing else. Yes. Um, <laughs> because yeah, that's like her holding the invoice is like part of that. Um, also, I, I think he's referencing Parker, which is a very weird. Oh, you're right. It's Parker. Oh my God. Riley. I know. I hated it. Oh, I yeah, forgot. Using uh, the fact that uh, that Parker used and manipulated Buffy as a way of hurting Angel, right? Like it's, it's there's layers there that I didn't unpack. <laughs> the writers were like, "We want to make the audience hyper aware of what happened to Buffy." You're like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> um, so I do like that. Once again, he's like, "Cordelia, love the hair," and she says, "Wish I could say the same to you." A plus. Him being like, so "Who's this one?" About uh, Doyle. Um, and then when he's like, don't worry, in four episodes time, no one will remember. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm normally even soon. Um, and when they're like, where's Angel? And I love the way he describes Angel as tall brooding man, caveman brow. That's a very good, like, insult. Even though Angel, I do think, looks very hot in season one. It's still also, like, accurate. 
yeah. Spike then tells them it's their turn to find the ring. He can't find it. He leaves. Cordelia and Doyle like search throughout the place. And we kind of get like, they're like, oh, let's remind people that Doyle's a demon because we don't get a lot of his demon face like in these early it's episodes. Expensive. Yeah, I was going to say, I, sure, it's a budget. Because in my brain, I remembered, I thought that they bring Oz back in so he can sniff out where the ring is because like, Cordelia specifically knows that Oz can do that, right? Because they had that scene in season three when they're going to, in a, uh, God, what the hell is the name of that episode? Oh, love, uh, Lover's Walk? Yeah, Lover's Walk. When like, he says he can smell them and she's like, says that's weird. So I was remembering that like, oh, that's how Oz comes back in. She asked him to sniff, but then no, we just have Doyle momentarily put on his demon face and he sniffs it, which, okay, sure. Yeah. Again, they were like, this will be good for the opening credits. Let's get him to yeah. put on his demon face. <laughs> <laughs> like one quick second. I do like that Doyle and Cordelia are like competent here because they like meet with Spike, but they don't bring him the ring. And I actually mm. kind of like the way it's shot where like, it's broad daylight. They're like in, like on the sidewalk, and he's like completely in a shadow in an alley. I think it like looks cool. It really does. Like throughout Buffy and Angel, it stretches credulity that vampires are able to get around during right. the day so easily, even without in Los the Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it feels like Los Angeles would be especially a problem for that, right? So they say they'll bring the ring if they can see Angel. So he tells them where to go. The episode kind of picks up, but like we're already like what. 40 minutes into the episode at this point. And I like that they do bring Spike. We get a lot of torturing, right? But the torture is very like, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, Marcus is, doesn't seem very good at this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's supposed to be like a, a genius master of torture. The he's invented torture. the art. And his big trick is stabbing Angel with hot pokers. Grow up. <laughs> or like shooting a gun in the ceiling. Like uh, it doesn't even take a vampire to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone could do that. <laughs> Unfortunately, in this country, anyone literally could do that. God. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry, it had to be said. But yeah, the, the, the torture scenes just like weren't sexy enough. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, you've what got, does that say about David, us? You've got, you've got you've got like David Boreanaz chained to a ceiling with his shirt open. Like, come on, yeah. give me yeah. more. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. also the show like it has a, a difficult relationship with its own homoeroticism at times. Yeah, which yeah. is part of why I love it because <laughs> it captures a time in my life when I had a difficult relationship with my homoeroticism. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is, it is like they don't want to objectify him, but at the same time, they've picked like an objectifiable man to be at the center of their sexy torture scene <laughs> well he has a naked appearance at the beginning of season two you yeah. know so yeah. if that was an issue they quickly got over it yeah yeah, yeah. thank Wait, god in, in angel season two he has a, what's the naked appearance he's dreaming of darla and, uh and wesley comes in to wake him up to so they can go do something and he jumps out of bed and uh attacks wesley and Wesley oh, looks I've down at him it. and I've says, it "Many a time, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah." He's naked in that scene, and I think there are some flat naked flashbacks later in the show. Yeah, but I mean, um, yeah, now that you pointed out, uh, he should have been naked hanging from the chain. Uh, oh, Ian, yeah. that's funny. I was about to say, Ian, are you regretting uh, coming on this very gay podcast? <laughs> as a <child? laughs> no, not at all. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I have a note here that says, "Why is 
why is Angel's TV Tai Chi always so surprisingly sweaty? And then listening, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I think I get it. So <laughs> totally fine. I'm just going to ignore that note. <laughs> so um, they go to the warehouse to make the exchange. And mm-hmm. by this point, I had completely forgotten that Oz was even in this episode until he shows up here in the van to help them make their getaway. I do like that Cordelia, like, what is, he Spike says something like, oh, you really thought I was going to let you get away? And she's like, no, not really. And that's when he bursts through. I love when we can have, like, Cordelia's got the, like, she's she's not stupid. She knows that you will probably kill her once she hands over that ring. Like She's got the upper hand here. Yeah, and we got her delivering a, like, brief history of Spike to Doyle. She knows Spike. She knows who he is. She knows, like the like murders he's done so like of course she's gonna have a like backup plan because she would be aware that spike would just murder them once he got the ring um and i do like that and i do james marsters is very good at annoyed spike like he's very good when spike has to be like super fucking annoyed he's just good at all spikes <laughs> like, yeah. you know he's he he's he he sells me things that other actors on this show don't always sell me which is some yeah. of their go-to like reactions he's just such he's so good i i want him to be on this show full-time so bad whenever he is you know what yeah. i mean until you know until, until he is, he is. <laughs> i'm just so like when they get away and he's like ranting away in that warehouse um i i did realize i was like oh like at some point they had to stop writing these incredibly silly kind of infantile monologues for Spike because you would never buy him as a romantic interest for Buffy if he was just like kicking the wall like an incel. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) That is true. Like Buffy would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like she would not have. It's the least hot thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I do think he, he like plays it well. Like I think it's like. Oh, when he's like, he's he's screaming and ranting and raving. And then he like, it takes him a moment to notice that his head is on fire. It's very funny. (laughs) I mean, he just, he holds duality of like, he's, he's just such a good actor. He really, he sells me so many different aspects of Spike as like a humorous figure, a romantic figure. Like take him seriously, be scared of him. It's so good. (laughs) <laughs> the casting yes. director on this show knows blonde people i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> knows blonde people um and i like that his like closing line of the episode is when he realizes that he's been double crossed by this marcus is i really hope they kill each other like i think that's a very good um it's also weird right because they needed to introduce like spike is the villain of the episode but isn't really right they needed to introduce a character that angel could kill because it wouldn't make sense if he had this big fight with Spike and didn't kill Spike, right? I felt yeah. like mm. that's why we had to have it be, oh no, Spike's double-crossed by the torturer. He takes the ring. Angel yeah. can murder that You're guy. Right. Yeah, I didn't see the purpose for Marcus until you said that, that there needs to be a yeah, satisfying end of some like bad guy. Yeah, and that's I, why everything about Marcus feels so phoned in, because right. they're much more interested in having fun with Spike as a character. Yes, which, same. So we see Marcus walking along the pier, we see inside Oz's... boys and girls. <laughs> we see inside Oz's van, <laughs> Angel's... Is that the best uh, an immortal pedophile has? <laughs> His biggest trick to steal children is to go to a pier and be like, come here. <laughs> like, he, he doesn't seem very competent at any of the things he claims to be interested in. Torture, <laughs> pedophilia, he's just not good at them. Sorry. <laughs> Ryan, Jesus. Uh, um, so we get uh, Angel's like, I guess this is like, why they added in the kids stuff, but they could just be like, he's a murderous vampire. He will murder everyone on the pier. Like, right. That would yeah. be like a, an emergency to go back to. Right. Like that feels like that would have been, could have been any kind of violent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Uh, Oz, he has a thing for old people. Yeah, we don't care. They're going to be gone anyway. Come on, Angel, let's get you to the hospital. <laughs> He's a murderer. Man, Angel fine. does COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so they turn around. Oz does some stunt driving. Um, they go back to this pier. And I do love the ridiculous imagery. Like, I forgot the van literally drives out onto this onto pier. Onto the pier. I mean, that, that van looked like CGI'd onto the pier. <laughs> well, like... And the, and, the, and the people watching are, like, hot girls in bikini. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's kind of, like, calm about this van crashing into a man on a pier. But I guess that also feels, like, very, like, when you're in a city, you're like, oh, well, not my problem. <laughs> like, I gotta get to I've work. seen worse in New York. <laughs> yeah, that's I was like on the subway. I feel like I've watched people die and I'm still on my way to work. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. So he crashes into Marcus. Doyle gets out. He gets beat up. Oz has never looked hotter. Like the they put him in, <laughs> oh, this... in his in his Anastasia sunglasses. I love the stupid pink sunglasses. <laughs> they feel very like that punk rock dude from like. 1999 like that feels very much like exactly the guy i had a crush on who like was a little kurt cobain but had his like nicely fitting t-shirts and his like baggy pants <sighs> does it for me yeah seth green was never more marketable uh, 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 never but so even seth green like i feel like he gets more action in this than like the entirety of season four of buffy like he pulls out a crossbow <laughs> and shoots it and that's like more than he gets to do in all of season four then Angel uh, jumps out of the van, catches on fire, and knocks Marcus into the water. And I do like the under-the-boardwalk fight scene. I think it's like a cool setting for a fight. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say, I feel like actually this bit, this is the bit that I remembered from the episode. And like there is like the tension there of like, he's like, oh, everyone else is like failing to like fight this guy. I have to go out yeah. into the sun and be vulnerable and be on fire. Like it's, the effects are kind of aged not great, but like it's still it's still a cool way to kind of like end the big action set piece of the episode, I think. Yes. Yeah. 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 I wrote the sun, the sun, sunset, sun, whatever scene is so, it, it's so affecting. And then they knew that it would be, could be because even at this point, it's not that Angel the show has been around for so long, but Angel the character has that you get to see like a fun first for him. And it's, this is the kind of stuff I want out of the show. Even with a crappy green screen, it, it was more effective for me than mostly anything else. The episode besides Seth Green being hot. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, oddly, the thing I find most distracting is when Angel jumps out of the van. Fire gel, Angel. The cut yeah. to fire gel, Angel uh, is yeah. so distracting. I mean, all you need to do is have. You know, Oz has road trip water bottles in the back of the truck, and Angel preemptively <laughs> pours water over himself in order to uh, deaden the fire that uh, he know his his body is going to break into. And then you you don't have that weird cut. <laughs> Whoa! Could vampires go to a water park? <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah maybe (laughs) but uh yeah i think because of the uh the vamp face morphing uh which is so dated at this point Mm. the um the the dusting effect under the boardwalk doesn't i didn't distract me as much as uh uh, fire gel angel for some reason anytime someone's on fire in these show both these shows is always like 
one of the worst effects they've done because it's just like someone in a very thick padded something with the gel on it and then like there's a flame it's the effect you can literally go see right now today at noon and then three o'clock and then six o'clock and then 7 30 uh at universal studios hollywood <laughs> like yeah. they do it on stage like four times a day it's it's like a it's a very cheap way it's a it's a cheap effect but it's also like you know at the time watching right. this on sd tv it was so much fuzzier that you could get away with stuff like that's that. That's a good point. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Um, but the stories I've seen now where the, they do the, they have to use fire gel. A lot of times they will do that tiny justification right beforehand for the wet look, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the person dousing them in a, themselves in accelerant or whatever, um, so that it, the, it just, because, uh, you know, safety's sake, you absolutely have right. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you do need to justify it in some way or not show it in close up. Yes. Yes. I think that's also like maybe pan out for that. <laughs> yeah. Or film it, film it from behind where the fire is, something. Um, but yeah, that's the only little bit that takes me out of the sequence. So that bit does not look great. But you know what does look great? When David Boreanaz <laughs> came up from under that pit, <laughs> dripping wet, into the sunlight, <laughs> dripping wet. With a warm, the warm breeze in his face, <laughs> dripping. Right, wet. he looked good. When I saw, well, I, 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 I was taken <laughs> back to being thirteen years old. My when my I saw David Barrera's shirtless, and my adolescent lizard brain just grew a whole new. Life. No, I mean like, that is a tree oh trunk God. of a man. That is like that man is an institution coming out of that water. It is. It and I, there it it yeah I think it can't be underlined enough in either Buffy or Angel how hot our main character is and <laughs> how we all just seem to take it for granted in the day to day and sometimes that's all he is and that's fine in our episode one we spent a lot of time talking about how hot he looks like I forgot how hot he was in these early seasons um, because I, I the, the thing that I you know I don't give David Boreanaz a lot of flowers on this podcast because. Uh, but he's one of those men that he looks like he looks different here than he did in Buffy season one. And then he does in Buffy in angel season five, but he looks hot as a twink as like somewhat of a twunk that he is here. And then as like his <laughs> thicker final form, like he looks super hot in all of those. And I'm mad about it. <laughs> there hasn't been a bad Pokemon evolution yet. And <laughs> right. we all, we're all staying tuned. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's not, a, he's not a twink. He's not yet a daddy. <laughs> right. It's the, and the hairlessness adds to the uncanniness of it all, where you're like, <laughs> I, you're this like ageless, handsome man, you know, right. like it's, it's great. He's a great vampire. <laughs> so yeah, and I and I do like hotness aside. I, it it is like cool seeing Angel like oh I'm walking into the sunlight. Like his his like expression here of being like oh shit here we are. Like it's kind of it's cool. It's a moment, right? And then it's mm-hmm. like almost immediately undercut. But we do get. I like Doyle, Oz, and Cordelia kind of just like standing there with him. We get the the Oz joke that does not land because Seth Green is the palest human. Him saying, wow, he's so pale. And then we get, um, we kind of cut to the scene that Ian, you mentioned. But what what is the scene we cut to, Ian? Uh, The world's worst green screen sunset (laughs) effect. Uh, Boy, that composite, there has been better compositing on this show already. Uh, And given there, it feels to me that there's some improv in the scene. Maybe this was a rush to finish and not the ending that was originally written for the episode. But um, the two, uh, Doyle and Angel, go up to the roof. Angel uh, gets to see his first sunset, first and last sunset in 200 years. 
and uh, decides to destroy the ring, much to Doyle's complaints. And then Angel insults Doyle's mother. Right. Cut to credits. That was so weird. <laughs> that really smacks to me of David Boreanaz's improv that they yeah. just decided to leave in. They were like, he is so charming. They're going to get it. The audience is going to get it. And we just didn't get it. It's like, it's a true you had to be there on set moment. <laughs> like... I, I can absolutely understand like the that spikes like very self-referential homophobia being in the script right. but a yo mama joke <laughs> to end on a yo mama joke from angel the yeah. world's sulkiest vampire <laughs> telling a mom it, it's so out of character and bizarre yeah, I have no idea why that got left in. I mean, they they the the final shot, uh, the final line of the episode needed. So they always have some kind of punctuation, right, for the cut to credits. And then, again, the whole that whole final sequence to me just smacks of deadlines. Uh, <laughs> and isn't Doyle also isn't Doyle's mum dead, <laughs> or didn't she abandon him? Like, there's there's some trauma there that Angel is pissing on. Yeah, some kind of demon holocaust that they later <laughs> compared. Uh, yeah, it is awful. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that part. That makes it worse. Yes. The, the show yes. holds in a lot of themes it's not ready to tackle just to have yeah, themes for a little while. They go, they go top shelf way too often. Um, the the, um, the Schindler's List visuals from Doyle's last episode are so oh. inappropriate for that <laughs> yeah. for for that Nazi purity demons for that story. <laughs> it's so top shelf, and the pedophile thing here is again like I'm not against using anything for any particular story, but you have to respect the thing that you're using in your story. Like it's like just don't bring it up, you know. Like right. exactly, exactly. To, like, bring it to the audience's top of mind because some people get upset <laughs> because right. it's a big deal thing we're dealing with. It just I don't know. It's it's it, this is the moment when the show feels its most like t- early two thousands, like you know yeah. pre nine eleven, <laughs> and and it's it's it things come crashing back down to earth don't worry by season four um you know there there's a there's an enormous amount of gravity being thrown around but uh, I, I don't know it, it uh it, it, it's a it's a real it, you feel gaslit for a moment <laughs> i i've heard an interview with tim Minear. uh i can't write i've heard several i can't remember the one that specifically but i've heard some of the original ideas that they uh, originally firefly was intended to be uh, a darker uh, a context for darker storytelling and the the i forgot the name of the space pirates uh the zombie space pirates or whatever they were the reavers spo- the reavers were supposed to be access to that after you sort of build the connection with the audience and so forth and some of the proposed dark stories that i've heard are so inappropriate in a similar way not only because they they are from an era that is no longer exists thanks to me too and other things that right, uh, yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know progress is a sliding scale and thank god the scale has continued to slid even though we still have problems but um yeah when they the like the the desire to go dark bled in lack of sorry for the pun bled into other uh shows and that boy did they misunderstand how to do that i think and and if you look at where all the other writers went off to after this, 
mercifully, you know, um, they want to went off to procedurals or, you know, once upon a time and, and, um, so 24, which is, um, you know, spy action content. Um, but the, when uh, the, the desire to go dark that was here and there with mutant enemy stuff is often mishandled in such a odd way like this. It reminds me, um, it feels a little bit like the Star Wars, the the recent trilogy, the sequel trilogy, where yeah. you're like, oh, I think you just like wanted to play with these words, but I, <laughs> I don't know that you, you know, like the the aesthetic seemed like pretty edgy, right? Um, <laughs> but I don't know that that you were prepared for what you started dabbling in. <laughs> Let's back away slowly from the Nazi imagery. <laughs> yeah, Whedon uh, definitely made moves that were an attempt to shirk a uh, reputation that he didn't like uh, once or twice. I mean, once more with feeling or no, not once more with feeling hush uh, came about because the thing that he, he didn't like the fact of what I've heard is the thing that he didn't like the fact that he was getting really known for this quippy dialogue Uh, that uh, that doesn't exist in real life. And so, uh, and that if he didn't have that to lean on, he couldn't write a good episode. And so he decided to write an episode where no one could speak, and it's one of the best episodes in the series. And maybe the darkness, uh, the desire to play with dark ideas comes from that same desire to challenge yourself and and break the the mold that you're known for. But boy, Mm. did it not work a lot of times. It just, it, it, especially in this season of Angel, it really does just feel like a teenage boy is trying to tell you how dark and edgy he's being um, by literally just throwing around, you know, like holocausts and pedophilia. Yeah, shock is not difficult. It's not a sh- it's sh- creating shock is not a uh, a challenging place to go. Justifying shock, making shock feel valuable or worthwhile, or uh, you know. That is more difficult. And I mean, The Body is an example. The Body is an incredibly shocking episode. It is not pleasant. It's not a fun episode to watch. But it is an episode that you feel that that justifies its existence because it tells something that is about being a person. It's something that we see ourselves in. But But this is thrown in. You know, the the mm-hmm. pedophile bit is just thrown in. It's writer shorthand for we need the audience to hate this character. It, it's too top shelf. I don't know of a better metaphor than than the booze metaphor going right to the top with um, the the darkness that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Just grab that ever clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we're at the end here, boys, um, what was your favorite outfit of the episode, Philip? I mean, it's really not a great episode for clothes, but I think because it features so heavily in the credits moving forward, and also because it's the most 1999 outfit imaginable, I'm going to say um, Cordelia's yeah. uh, orange tank top and the drawstring trousers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Ian? Yeah, I was thinking about that this time because... Um, you know the rotating outfits are such a uh, a part of Buffy's identity, especially the, in those early seasons. And Angel has a superhero suit. Yeah, Spike has a supervillain suit. To some degree, yeah. Doyle uh, wears the same uh, superhero suit the, the same time. So it's a more challenging question until Gun, Fred, and Lorne come along. Yeah, and and then if I default to charisma, I'm not sure if it's the outfit or the fact that charisma could wear anything and 
make it look amazing. Also fair. But I, yeah, but I, again, drawstring pants and and the orange top for sure. <laughs> uh, Ryan bikini, babe at the pier. I loved the cut. She looked great. She's very confident. She's having a great time. Very very uh, uh, ideal. Uh, day at the beach for her. I don't think anything went wrong. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> Fair. Uh, my favorite, I, I'm going to go same thing with the, I, li- I I do like that top on her, but I think it also, to your point, Ian, she looks good in everything. Yeah. But I'm also going to say it's a tie between the orange top and then Oz's like Kurt Cobain-ish end outfit with the like tight-fitting gray shirt. Ugh, my man looks good. Yeah, when he in the van appearance, when he's driving, <laughs> I was so struck by it, 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 when he's driving the van and you get the first shot of him and the lamplight. You hear the radio before the lamplight illuminates his face, and it's uh, they're playing all the alternative hits, ninety eight point six, <laughs> and then you see Oz's everything alternative. I mean, I so vividly <laughs> remember that era and my Pearl Jam shirts. Uh, <laughs> That uh, yeah, uh, it, it's beautiful. I, I love the, his style in that episode. Uh, favorite scene, Ryan. I think my favorite scene in this episode is Angel being hot doing Tai Chi because it's you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing too bad happening in that one. <laughs> uh, Ian, I really actually appreciate. I mean, we know what Angel wants. You know, we we all know what Angel wants. We saw men's, we saw whatever. But I really appreciate it. moments of emotional vulnerability um, are rare for his character. Mm-hmm. And the moment where he's uh, and David's performance, um, I don't give him enough. I don't, I don't give him many kudos mm-hmm. uh, in in the content that I make. <laughs> but his performance when he says "I want forgiveness" gets me in the heartstrings. Um, and he, he's trying to set up Marcus to bring him in so he can stake him. But I still choose to believe that that moment is uh, genuine and Angel's uh, vulnerability and exhaustion over trying to fix and make amends for the things he did. Because, you know, selfishness is a part of being a human. Yeah. Um, and that's OK, too. So I, I really appreciate it. I like that moment. Fair, fair. Uh, Philip. I'm going to go with Rachel's daytime TV movie. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I I think it's going to have to be the action under the pier. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then him emerging into the sunlight, dripping <laughs> wet. <laughs> Philip has uh, one track mind here, and I love that we keep going back to the dripping wet. Um, I think my favorite scene is Spike being like, Cordelia, you look smashing after getting like beat up. But a close second would be him coming out of the underneath the pier. Uh, what grade do we give the episode, Ian? Well, again, I think that uh, you have to grade on a curve depending on the season that the, I mean, you don't have to, but I choose to grade on a curve depending on the season that the episode appears in. And because this is a first season episode, I'd give it a B. Okay. Uh, Ryan? I was going to give this a C minus, but then I remember that at one point Doyle says he knows a three-legged monster, and that <laughs> launches a whole fan fiction universe for me. So I'm going to give it a C. <laughs> uh, Philip? I'm going to go C plus, um, because it's it's far from... I mean, even in this season, like you've got episodes that are so great. And I'm ta- you know, I'm, I mean, if we're talking crossover episodes, the Faith two-parter oh. really does wipe the floor with this one. For sure. Um, but I, I appreciate that they, they put a lot of stuff into it. They threw a lot of stuff at the wall. 
to see what would stick. None of it did, uh, but I appreciate that they took a big swing, even if it really was a bit of a miss. So a C plus. All right, and I I give it a B because I I feel like in the I feel the same way Ian does. The Ians agree in the realm of season one. This is a standout. I think like for sure. I do think the Faith episodes are some of the best, but you know we got. Before this, we got a fucking Kate-centric cop episode with a monster that did not matter. Um, and I this is a nice uh, a nice change of pace after that episode. Um, thank you, boys, for joining me and being co-hosts. And thank you all for listening. If you like Slayer Fest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can support us on Patreon. We are currently going through What If Season 1 and Harley Quinn Season 2 but also do bonus episodes uh, on things like Stranger Things and whatever new movie is out. Any support is much appreciated. If you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98 on all social media platforms. I am at IanXCarlos on all social media platforms. Where can they find you, Ian? I am at Ian Nitram, uh, which is my first name and last name Martin, spelled backwards, and uh, YouTube.com slash PassionOfTheNerd for my Buffyverse content. And Ryan. You can find me at Ryan Houlihan. You can find my drag persona at AOL Keyword Woman. And you can find my Drag Race recap podcast at Academy of Drag all over the internet and all the places you would look for that. And Philip, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L, Ellis with two. You can find me on Instagram at Philip Ellis. And you can find me on the pier wearing a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.